We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. One communion Sunday, just like we have one here today. The communion steward prepared communion, but he had a little bit of a twist. And when it came time to uncover the elements, the grape juice looked a little darker than usual to the pastor. But he just let it go on and he passed it on around. And, and um, as the, the uh, elements were passed along the congregation, he began to notice that there were some very startled looks on the people's faces. And he found out why when it came his turn and he, he drank of the, the uh, grape juice, found out they had substituted the grape juice with prune juice. <laughs> I'm told that one parishioner said, perhaps this is a divine commentary on our spiritual, on our spiritual condition. We need a little loosening up. <laughs> well, that's what we're talking about here, getting loosed up to hear the things from God that we need to be hearing. We went over some things last week about how God will entrust you. The measuring stick, we call it the measuring stick of the Lord. That God measures us, and we went through the Scriptures, and the Scripture showed us that uh, God measures us two ways. First off, He measures us in... Anybody remember? Well, let's go over all that. What, what you do with what is of lesser value is also what you will do with what is of greater value. What you do with what is another's is also what you will do with what is your own. And we see that Jesus taught us in the Scripture we looked at. He said, first off, God will give you the lesser things to see if you will be diligent with the greater things. And then He said, and who will give you what is your own if you are not first faithful with what is another's? The measuring stick of God. This is how He measures faithfulness. This is how He determines how we are. He gives us a little to see what we do with it because then He will know how we will deal with much. He also puts us in places where we are to be faithful with what is someone else's. Because He says how you are faithful in that is how you will be on your own. What does God consider to be the things of great value? People. Yeah, there you go, people. Not money, not possessions. Because he even talked about it there. If, God, if we can't trust you with mammon, how can we trust, trust you with the greater things? So money is not the greater thing. 1 Corinthians 4 verse, verse 1 said, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. He saw himself as a steward of the mystery of God. He saw that as a greater thing. For who makes you differ from another? Verse 7, And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not receive it, if you didn't, now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? We received these things, folks. We didn't earn it. We didn't do something to go get it. God gave it to us. We put this in the end of it last week. Treat everything given to you as if it was great. Everything that is put in your hands, treat it as if it was something fantastic. Don't take what hasn't been given. Don't take what hasn't been given. Adam took of the fruit that wasn't given to him. David would not take of the throne until it was given. Learn to follow instructions. That's one of the hardest things to do, is to learn to follow instructions. And to wait. Saul messed up a few weeks ago. We looked at him. Saul messed up because he didn't follow instructions and he didn't wait. David followed instructions and David waited. Now, we ended uh, last week. Not everyone makes it on to great things, but that doesn't mean that everyone isn't intended for them. God may intend great things for you, whether you come to it or not, is entirely up to you. How would you like it if God had said, when you get to heaven, I intended some great things for you, but you never got there? Some, some people will say, well, I'll be satisfied with something much less. Well, what if God wanted you to be satisfied with something much more? We need to live up to what He wants us to, to do. This week, put this in your outline, am I doing my own thing, discovering what God wants me to do, or serving in the role He has given me? We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 25. Now, a word of caution here. We are in a very special chapter of the book of Matthew. You must be very careful 
about what you pull out of Matthew 25 for today. Because Matthew 25 is in a series of two chapters, began in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. Not everything in these chapters is for you. You must determine which ones are. Because when he starts off in Matthew 24, you remember the the disciples come to him and they said to him, Master, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. And Jesus responded to them, first off, be careful that no one deceive you for many will come in my name saying I am he. And then he went on and began to teach about the end times. What he is teaching about is what comes or what he's, he's answering these questions. When will these things be? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming end of the end of the age? They are not asking about the rapture. They don't know there is going to be a rapture. So they're not asking about it. They're asking about when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, which is what all the, the Jews in that time frame were looking for. None of them knew that there was a mystery, a church age. So as we go through this, I'm going to try and pinpoint some of this for you. We're not going to get into all the details of it. We have taught these chapters numerous times here, but we're going to go through this for this purpose, what we're looking at here today. Am I doing my own thing? Discovering what God wants me to do or serving in the role He has given me. Again, we're going back to the measuring stick. How does God measure us? Verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were wise, or those, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. Now look, look at this. The ones who were foolish, did they just not take enough oil? Mm-hmm. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out now to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him in the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now the reason that they didn't take any oil when they have their lamps there, I don't imagine that you burn your lamp while you're sleeping. How many of you all burn lamps while you're sleeping? How many of you all burn candles when you're sleeping? Not a good idea, is it? Probably not a good idea back then either. But they came on and they tried to trim them. They tried to get them to, to light up. And the, the, the one group who didn't take any oil, they, they couldn't get them to go. They you know, light a little bit and then it kind of go down. They couldn't get it to go. But they didn't bring any oil with them. So they were not prepared for the bridegroom coming at night. They were plenty prepared for him coming in the daytime. The Lord has a lot to say about nighttime and daytime. Again, we're not getting into all the details of this. We've taught about it before. But notice this, that all believed in the bridegroom's return. All were waiting for it. But only some were ready. There are many people in the world today who are believing that Jesus will come. There are many who are even waiting for it, but less that are prepared. So here's the question. What made them ready? What made five ready and five unready? Let's go on. Matthew 25. How many know that Jesus does not teach one topic and then move on to something completely unrelated? He's still answering the three questions. Verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise... He would receive two, gain two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you have delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents. He said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you 
ruler over many. In other words, you did something good with a little bit. What did he do something good with? Money. Now, we already know from, the, from Jesus' teaching before, is money one of the greater things? No, but because he was faithful with a lesser thing, he was giving greater. He said, enter into the joy of your Lord. He also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now notice, even though one gained two and one gained five, the exact same words come from the master to the servant. Exactly the same. It doesn't change it one bit. Just because of one gained five, the other one gained two, doesn't change it one bit. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I had reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He calls the servant who didn't do anything, what? Unprofitable. Evil, lazy. They're not good words. He does not have the same words for this guy that he has for the one who had five and two. If he would have gained one talent with his one talent, what do you think the words would have been? Probably exactly the same as the other two. It wasn't based on what he received. It was based on what he did with what he received. Now notice this is a man who was traveling to a far country who called what? His own servants. Which means that these men were being faithful in what was another's. Isn't that what Jesus taught about when we looked at last week? And delivered His goods to them. The goods that the Master delivered to the hands of these men were His he gave them to me. He said, here's five talents. Here's two talents. Here's one. These are, this is my stuff. But I'm giving it to you. Now you deal with it. You work with it. You invest it. You, you put time into it until I come back. With the ten virgins, we don't get the idea that it was all that long they were waiting. With these guys, it says after a long time. So what, it, what Jesus is telling them is this. They're asking, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming? End of the end of the age. He's given one parable that says it's overnight and the other one, long time. So what does he help them with as far as the time is concerned? Nothing at all. <laughs> There's nothing that he gave them at all. He, in one thing, he says it's going to be a short time. Another one, he says it's going to be a long time. So they have nothing about the timing of it. So they were given what was another's. They were given what was another's. This is our measuring stick. So how did they do? Let's look at what he said. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. Now what's interesting is the guy who had ten, which is the guy who had the most of anyone in the group, the Lord and the Master said, you have a few things. You know what? I don't know. But if, when you look at what the Master has... Compared to what he has given to the most, to any one of us who has the most, we have a few. <laughs> when you compare it to what the master has, we have a few. There is no one who can stand up and say, oh, I got a whole bunch. No, he's got a few. I will make you ruler over many, many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, the unfaithful servant was judged on what he knew. He says, I knew you to be, and he began to list what it was that he who was. How many of y'all know God is not this kind of a person? Even, and, and Jesus is telling the story. He's making this story up. 
So this story has all the elements in it that he wants because he made it up. <laughs> he can't say, oh, I didn't mean to have that part in it, but you know, that's how the story is. No, he wrote this story. This story can be anything he wanted it to be, and this is how he wanted it. He wanted this man to have a wrong understanding of who the master was. Do you understand that? He wanted this unfaithful servant to have a wrong understanding of God. And he dealt with that. He judged him on what he knew, right or wrong, and what he did was what he had. He did not matter whether what he knew was right or whether it was wrong. He judged him on what he knew. Real important point with that, but just to go back into a, a couple of weeks ago, when we went over what suffering can produce, remember the one with Saul and David? Being stubborn makes you resistant to God's correction and you only see how you were right. And those under you were wrong, those over you were wrong, and those against you were wrong. Can you see that same mentality with this guy? Those that are over him are wrong. What do you think he's thinking about the guy who's got two and the guy who's got five? And they're producing some stuff. Well, they're wrong. <laughs> he's looking at things that are against him. And sees that as being This is the attitude that we can get into. Don't get into that attitude. That's not a good attitude to have. But here's the here's a big thing I want you to get. What you understand about God impacts what you do for God. That's in your rat line. Make sure you fill that out. What you understand about God impacts what you do for God. It is imperative that you have a correct understanding of God. A weak, a wrong, incorrect understanding of who God is will lead you to wrong actions. But it will not excuse them. It is imperative that you learn who God is. Now, in order for that to happen, God has helped us out. God has given gifts into the body of Christ to teach God has given of His Holy Spirit who is called the giver of truth who will reveal things to us. That's His number one ministry. Not power and miracles and stuff like that. The number one ministry of the Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. You go back through and you count it up. Number one ministry of the Holy Spirit. What you understand about God impacts what you do for God. Take a look at some of these verses on understanding. Psalms 119, 104. Though your, or through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The more understanding you get of God, the more you will despise the falseness, the false ways that are out there. The more that you understand about God. Because the more you understand about God, the more you see that God has put responsibility on us. And God has empowered us. And there is no excuse that stands in the way of a Christian to go on. But then you look at the false ways that are out there. And we are surrounded by them. If you listen to the news, you are constantly bombarded by false information and false ways. I surely hope all of you have turned them off by now. I'm sure some of you probably still tune it in and, and check out some of the things. But NBC, CBS, ABC, CNN, MSNBC, surely no one listens to them. Not here. That's one of the most ungodly stations you could ever tune into, MSNBC. I didn't say that wrong. I said that correctly. If you listen to MSNBC, you're getting some of the most ungodly stuff you could possibly feed your spirit. I surely hope you don't ever let that come on your house. Can I say that stronger? That is a warning from your pastor. I hope I don't have to warn anyone here. But that is the most hideous News, supposedly, news network. They are anti-God. They hate God. They hate anything that stands for right and moral and morality in this country. They despise it. Do not let them in your home. Guard against them. Don't read their articles. They are, it is poison. It will hurt you. How many of y'all heard that news story about that lady who testified before Congress? of how the government should pay for contraception for her. There was an article I printed out. I was going to bring it in on Wednesday night and didn't. 
that actually documented it. When they back, went back through and fact-checked her story. <laughs> oh, man, you ought to see what the job they did with that. Oh, they ripped it to shambles. Somebody had put it up on Facebook, and I printed it. I'm not sure if it was somebody here. But, uh, oh, it was, it was astounding, the, uh, the thing. But this is the mentality that people have gone into. I want to live an immoral lifestyle, and I want you to pay for it for me. And if anyone comes against that, then, then uh, you know, they're, they're held out to... You know why all this is coming about? How many of y'all know why contraception is even in the news? Way back at a Republican debate, a question was asked to Governor Mitt Romney, ex-governor, I guess. Can a state outlaw contra- contraception? And Mitt had a great answer for it. I must say, we, for, he surely handled it well. He, did anybody hear his answer on that? He came on out and says, well, who wants to do that? What state wants to do that? Why are we talking about what state wants to? What state wants to? <laughs> and the guy kept pushing it, and so much so that the audience started laughing at the, uh, the, the guy who was leading the debate. And finally, Mitt said, you know, this is silly. We're talking about this. You know why we're talking about this? Because they don't want you to focus in on the economy, on the immorality that is going on, on the things that are being legislated against religious organization, the president mandating that Catholic universities do certain things is an overstepping of his power, and it's not the first time, and it's not even the tenth time, and it's not even the fifteenth time he has overstepped his power. But no one's calling him on it. Somebody needs to call him on it who can. Until they do, he's going to keep on doing it. They don't want you to focus on these things. The government cannot legislate whether you do or don't. And they surely, if they, if they can get in and start telling a Catholic university, school, hospital that they need to provide these things, where do you think it stops? That's why all this focus is on here. They're trying to make you think that certain candidates only care about what's going on in your bedroom. And you know what? They don't. They care about other things that are much more important. But this is where they want to focus it. Don't let the news media do this to you. Know what the issues are. Know what the things are at hand. For all the things that are done on contraception, I know it went through the news media. We talked about it before back in the first election. The election before this, the presidential one. You got these people that stand for whether contraception is good or not. The president that we currently have, while he was a legislator in the Illinois state government, not only voted for, not only promoted, sponsored and wrote legislation that mandated that if an aborted child was born alive, another doctor would be called in to make sure he could finish the job. Infanticide is what it's called. He not only voted for it, he pushed it, he promoted it, and he wrote it. His name is one of the few things his name is on is one of the few things he voted on in the Illinois Senate that he didn't just vote present. He voted for it. Now, that'll get your dander up in a while, I'm sure. But how much is that more of an issue of morality than all this other stuff they want to bring up? That was hideous back then. And the news media didn't even cover it, didn't even want to. But those are the kind of things that are, that are going on. First off, folks, the, the way our government is set up, the federal government has nothing to say about abortion. Whether you, you, know, you, you may say, well, the federal government, should pass, the federal government, according to our gov- guidelines, cannot pass an ordinance about abortion. It is a state issue. It's the way our government is set up. It's up to the states to do it. But we already have things that states have already passed that they're allowed to do. And what happens? The courts step in and say, no, no, you can't do that. But anyway, don't let this kind of stuff get in. What you understand about God impacts what you do. Huge. If you think a God is a, a God with a big stick in the sky and ready to beat you up every time you miss it, it's going to impact what you do. You need to get a right understanding of God. That's why you need to be in a good church that teaches you good things about scriptural things, teaches you things that come from the Word of God. Maybe some of them will step on your toes. Maybe some of them make you a little uncomfortable. That's all right. It's better to get it right now than get it straightened up up there. Let's get it taken care of right now. Whole lot easier. Paul told us, he said, it's better that you judge yourselves than to be judged. That's the whole thing about right teaching. 
Get, just get in a place to judge yourself. Get yourself taken care of. What you understand about God impacts what you do for God. Proverbs 4, 5, and 7. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Whose statement it made that one famous? <laughs> Brother Creflo says that all the time. Oh, I'll tell you what. It's, one of the, it's, a, it's a good thing for you to get down. In all you're getting, get understanding. Maybe you've heard him say that a number of times. Make sure you write down where it comes from. It's not just a phrase he picked up. He pulled it right out of the Word of God. Proverbs 16, 16, How much better to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be, be chosen rather than silver. Get understanding. A correct understanding will do huge things for your life. But you've got to have the correct understanding. That man had a wrong understanding of God. It impacted what he did, what he had with God. And in the end, God said, you are an unprofitable servant. Cast him out and took what he had and gave it to someone else. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from one from another. As a shepherd divides his sheep from, from the goats. Now, when we have this, this uh, great gathering of nations, is the church there? No. The church has been raptured. The church is not on the earth. It is gone. <laughs> this is the tribulation period. At the end of the tribulation, when He comes, He will take all those that are alive on the earth and He will separate them into two groups. He calls one group sheep and He calls one group goats. I don't know about you, <laughs> but if I was alive on the world of that day, I'd rather be a sheep than a goat. And He will... And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. It is always good to be on the right hand of God. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Well, Lord, when, would, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So that's a simple way. Whoever you did it to, the least, even the least of them, whatever, whatever brother out there, whichever one you minister to in this way, now, we've taught on this before, but I don't want you to get distracted. So, in case anyone wasn't here or doesn't remember what was, what was going on here. Because people have taught and pulled out of this thing. And people, how many ministries are based on the fact of feeding and clothing and visiting. And they, you know, they, we're going to get to heaven this way. No, you are not. This has nothing to do with the church age. You could be alive in the church age and do all these things and he, could still, he will still call you a goat. Because during the church age, these things do not separate the sheep from the goats. But during the tribulation, it will. The reason is during the tribulation, there will be a law passed and the Antichrist will say, unless you take my mark, you cannot buy and you cannot sell. And so, if you give away your food, how will you go out and buy more? If you give away your clothes... How will you go out and buy more? And if you go and visit the prisons, think about this. Who are you visiting? The murderers? The robbers? Who are you visiting? The Christians who have been arrested for their faith. So, you, as an unarrested Christian with no mark of the beast, are going to walk into the prison system and visit people that are in prison and then walk out. How are you going to do that? Now, right now, you can, not everybody can, I make it tougher and tougher, but you, know, you can eventually get yourself to the place where you can go into prison and just visit, just visit people. You only have to be a relative and stuff, and even then they make you jump through some hoops. But you can go in, you can visit them, and you know you're coming out. They want you to leave. 
But during this day and age, it's going to be different. And the people who go into prisons to visit others that have been put in, it is an act of faith. It is an act that says, Father God, you can, take, you can deliver me from the teeth of the lion. I will go in there and I will minister to those servants of yours that are in there. I mean, if you go into a prison, a prison that's under the Antichrist system, and visit people that are Christians, do you think that they would... Who is this person visiting this Christian? Do you think there might be a watch list? I want to know everybody who visits the Christians. That's going to be a test of faith, folks. That's going to separate the sheep from the goats. During the tribulation is the only time that these three things will separate the sheep and the goats. It does not separate sheep and goats today. You can be a goat and go into the prison. You can be a goat and give away some food. It don't make any difference. But during the tribulation time, which is what they're asking about, then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You did not take me in naked and did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. We didn't talk about that one, but the stranger, you're going to take a stranger into your home? You don't know who the stranger is, whether they're a spy from the government, from the Antichrist. He's trying to find out where the Christians are. What if they report on you? Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and in prison and did not minister to you? Did they not listen to what he said on the other side? Then he will answer them saying, Surely I say to you, as as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. So here, when the Son of Man returns, he's going to look at what they did with the goods that they had. The clothing, the food. He's going to look at what they did with the time that they had. And he's going to look at what they did with the opportunities when the strangers came by that they had. He's going to look at what they did with the the goods, the opportunities, the time. He's going to look at these things. The man in the previous story was judged for what ventures he didn't take. He buried the stuff in the ground. In this one, it is the missed, it is the opportunities presented to them that they missed. That's the focus. For each one, they had opportunities that presented themselves. They had strangers, they had people who needed food, they had people who needed clothes, and they had people that were worthwhile to go into prison and visit. And one side of the group did not take the opportunities, and the other side of the group did. Now, pulling this stuff out for what we can pull out of here for today. First off, God expects me to prepare for what is coming. He expects us to know what is coming and to prepare for it. That just doesn't just mean end times type of preparation. That means that God is going to say, Steve, I am getting you ready for this ministry. I need you to prepare. I am getting you ready to face this storm. I need you to prepare. I need to send you into a certain place. I need you to prepare. And we need to prepare. I need to prepare for what's coming. Because otherwise, when what's coming comes, I'm unprepared. So first off, prepare for what is coming. Second, be faithful with what has been entrusted to you. Be faithful with what has been entrusted to you. What has God put into your trust? Well, it hasn't been much. Oh, please don't look at it that way. If you, for one moment, consider what God has put into your trust as, oh, it's not much. How are you different from the guy who got the one talent and buried it? Oh, it wasn't that much. Be faithful with what has been entrusted to you. Because whatever it is that you have, God has entrusted it. And third, recognize the opportunities around me. You need to recognize the opportunities that are around you. In the end times, to this group, he's saying you need to recognize that strangers, that people that are in prison, that people who need food and clothing, these are opportunities for you to demonstrate your faith. The woman who was to feed Elijah had an opportunity, an opportunity to live. She recognized it and took it. 
We have opportunities that are around us. We need to recognize it and go after it. Prepare for what is coming. In order for us to prepare for what is coming, I've got to be in, have a good prayer life in which I am hearing from God. Be faithful what is what, what has been entrusted to you. Now, as soon as we think about this, most of our focus goes on to, well, what kind of talents do I have? Well, I can sing, I can dance, I can play something, I can teach something, I can make something, I can do something. We're looking at these kind of talents and abilities and things like that. And certainly those are gifts from God and you should use them, right? I mean, that's all good. I know I was not blessed with any kind of singing, certainly not any kind of dancing or any type of musical ability. I was blessed with an, with an ability to appreciate music, but not an ability to get involved in the presentation of the music. I recognize those, those things, and so I stay on the, on the other side. And I'm content to stay on the other side. If you were not here on Wednesday, we talked about boundaries, the boundaries of Egypt. Now, if you weren't here for it, it's up there on the Internet. You can go up there and get it. It'll be a whole lot more fun than what you're thinking it probably is. But the discussion was real fun. We had a real good time in the discussion, and, but none of you can get that because you weren't here. <laughs> Only the people that are here get the discussion. But, boy, we had a rip-roaring discussion. That went on for a while. People were, were coming up with stuff and it was, it was good. But God has entrusted other things to us as well. God has entrusted principles, truths, understanding, knowledge, wisdom. Are not these the things He considered to be valuable? Doesn't, hasn't God entrusted us with some of these things? You have been given an understanding on some things that other Christians, other unsaved people have no idea. Some Christians right there never don't even know that Jesus is their healer. There's a whole lot of folks out there that don't know that the Word of God is life, that it's light. There's a whole lot of people out there that don't know that God is love and the, and the kind of loving acts that He has towards us. You have understanding of Scriptures that can help people out. You've been entrusted with them. God's given them to you. Now, you can go from there in a couple of ways. You can just, well, yeah, I got that. It's, it's good. And, and never give it another thought. But that's not being faithful. God wants us to take what those principles are that He's given us and to be faithful with it. Now, I'm working on this and this will be coming in later on here. Not today. But how... Maybe you've never asked this question. How is it that I can be faithful with a thing? What, what is it? I mean, let's break it down. Let me, let me take something in my life. Am I faithful with it or unfaithful? Most of us will say, well, of course I'm faithful with it. But we're going to break down some, look at some things in the Word of God. Examples, people, teaching. Because I want to know, what does God consider when I'm faithful with a thing? Brother Keith Moore used to tell us about um, uh, some of the friends that he had when he first went over to Ramah. And when they grabbed hold of, of some of the teachings that they, they got there, they just soared with it. Oh, they learned about Jesus being the healer. They learned about the Holy Spirit, the ministry the Holy Spirit had. And the power of God, and they just soared with it. And sometimes our brother Keith would just get before God and says, Dear God, how is it that you blessed us, Phyllis and I, with, with such, such teaching? And I look at these other folks over here, and they don't have it. They didn't get blessed with that. And look, at their lives are suffering because of it. And the Lord spoke this to them. He said, Because I knew you'd be faithful with it. And he said, then he remembered. He says, Oh, yeah. I remember he took some tapes home from different people that he heard, and he gave them to them. And they come back to him, you know, a couple months later. Did you ever listen to that? No, I didn't get, get to it yet, but I'll, I'll get to it sooner or later. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to that. They never did listen to it. Sometimes some people did actually listen to it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a, I mean, life-changing stuff that he adopted and, and picked up and the Spirit of God showed him some things and some of these people would listen to it. Ah, yeah, it was, okay. it was okay. Have you ever had that? You learned a life-changing principle and you tried to share it with some people and ah, I guess that's okay for you. They're not being faithful with it. They're not, they're, not, they're not taking that thing and seeing what you can do with it. They're not seeing how, how that can help. Got to see that in the application of it. Got to put it to work. You have been given these things. You have unsaved people all around you. You need to minister to them. Don't hide under a bush what you know. Yeah, well, they're not going to receive it. Let them decide. Let them decide. You just put it out there to them. How many of you, we all have unsaved Group, groups of people that we interact with at work, recreation, 
different places that we go. You know, I've shared with you some of the unsaved people I deal with. Hockey. You know, Lamar and I are the only saved people there, I think. Now, there's a couple others I think go to church and have some, some sensitivity. And there's other ones that are as hard as can be. And so I've been saying some more things and challenging them in some more ways and saying some stuff that knocks some of them right off of their seat. And, uh, but you, you can't sit there and say, well, they're not going to understand it. You all know when I had my appendix out. came up in my spirit that afternoon. It's your appendix. It didn't come in right away. I had it for a little while. I was laying there watching the Phillies game and, and all of a sudden down in my spirit it came up. It's your appendix. Oh, so then we, uh, my wife was, and I were the only ones home then, so then we, you know, I called her in and we went over to the hospital. I told them it's my appendix. And they uh, took me back in. They took me a couple hours to test and they finally decided, yep, it's your appendix. We'll pull it out. And so I was sitting over there with the hockey guys and uh, just, you know, we're, they're all getting ready. I'm switching over from basketball over to hockey. And, and we're all just sitting there and, and talking about stuff. And I think it was my first week back after the appendix came out. So they were asking me some things about it. And I said, yeah, but I knew it was my appendix. I just went to the hospital and told them. Well, how did you know? Oh, it came up in my spirit. It did what? <laughs> God spoke it right to me, right to my spirit. I was just laying there. I said, I didn't really have any of the symptoms of the appendix because I looked it up after he told me. I was telling him all this. I looked it up after they told me. I didn't have all the symptoms of the appendix, but that's what came up in my spirit. It's your appendix. So I went over to the hospital and they took it out. And they were just floored. Now, you see, I could say that to you. came up in my spirit. It was, and, it's like, and you all just say, yeah, all right. But for some of these folks, it's like, huh? What? God does stuff like that? Really? Share these things. Talk to them. Why is it that they could talk about their heathen stuff, so matter-of-factly, in front of us? Talk about it. I told you a few weeks ago, I was bragging on you folks to the hockey people. Because we had one week where we were over in the hospital quite a bit. Did I, tell, did I tell you about that one? We were over in the hospital. We had, we, one Tuesday, everything was coming down. I think uh, was it uh, Lothar was in the hospital and and Marilyn was no Marilyn was in the hospital. Lothar wasn't in the hospital yet. Marilyn was in the hospital and Ray was in the hospital. And it was all on Tuesday. And I had to send him out an email. I says, guys, I I told you before I was going to make it, but I'm I'm questionable right now. I says this hardly ever happens because our people have learned what the Word of God has to say. And they just know about the power of God for healing. And so I, I, I laid it. I, there was a whole lot more I said about you all than that. And when we got there, you should have seen the looks from people. <laughs> a couple of them finally ventured up and said, did you get everything done? I said, well, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> and so they started, a few of them ventured out and they started asking me, now you, you're telling me that this, this doesn't happen? This and this don't happen? Because I told me only we've only buried a handful of, of uh, church members. In 22 years, you could not count all the church members we buried on one hand. In 22 years. Now, most of them can count how many people are dying in their church and need two hands for it per, per year. <laughs> and that's, how is that so? You got the fountain of One of them said, you got the fountain of life there? <laughs> No, you know, now some, some people, one person who passed away who was here, they came out and uh, they had a condition and we were trying to get them to understand some things about healing, but you know, that condition that got pretty entrenched in them. One person, they reached the end of their life. They were satisfied <laughs> and they went on home and in a good, in fact, a lot of times I was over there visiting with her and we were talking about, all right, what do you want to do when you go home? And I already knew everything that she wanted in her funeral. Because we talked about it. Because we knew she's coming to the end. She's ready to go on home. And then she, she just went on home. Oh, it was a good time. But you see, we've told you before. People have taught us. I've taught you. Other people have said it too. The church you go to is a matter of life and death. You learn, you learn disbelief for a long period of years. It'll stay with you. And when you need faith, you don't have anything to draw on. You need to make sure you have that, that good stuff in there. But you all do. You are good, so I've been bragging about you to hockey people. Because you all are good with this. You learn what the Word of God has to say, and you apply it. It's not like, it, it, that's not saying that we don't ever get sick, or we don't ever go to the hospital and stuff, but you all know what to do. And you all foresee a lot of this stuff. And even when you do go in the hospital, you're out fast. Glory to God.
Prepare for what is coming. Be faithful with what God has entrusted to you. And recognize the opportunities that are around you. And there are opportunities around you. Stop sitting there saying, well, nobody's given me opportunity. That is wrong. Opportunities are around you. What does God say? Be faithful with what is little and you will be given much. Well, I don't have that many opportunities. Then be real faithful with those. Be real, real faithful with those. There's a... How far are we getting along here? There's a... Uh, an aspect of this. I don't, know, I don't want to get into a whole lot of it today, but I just kind of wet your whistle for it. There is a threshold that we, that we hit. There is a plateau that we hit in our life. There are only... How many of y'all know there's only so many things you can handle? Anybody believe I've been there, you know? Only so many things that you can handle. You go through, through like, I mean, you got, in whatever situation, right? You, you hit a certain spot, and once you hit a certain spot, it begins to frazzle your mind. And you're going in a whole lot of different directions. How many of y'all know that there's a, there's a place there? But think back in your life. How many of you right now, that place is further along than it was before? You can handle more things now. Before, you know, when you were a kid, you know, two things would throw you. Now, you know, you got to five things and then pretty soon ten things and such things like that. Well, I was thinking about this and, and uh, the Lord brought me back to an experience I had for, I don't know if, how many of you know this, but for a while when I was out there in Oklahoma, I sold insurance. Did not like selling insurance. Didn't like anything about the job. It just was, it was tough. You, what you had to do was we were given 25 lead cards per week. And then we had to, this is before cell phones, this is before calling plans, this is before all that. You had to call them and set up appointments out of those 25. You just try and set up enough appointments because it was a total call. Every call was calling you two, three, four dollars. We were coming out with several hundred dollars worth of phone bills per month making these phone calls. And so you try and get enough to get a start and then you're going out there, set up in a hotel room and make the rest of the phone calls from there. We were only playing a quarter for them or something like that. And so we would do this, but after a while it came to a point where our boss had a rebuke us because we're given us 25 lead cards and we were not being faithful with them and he was right we weren't because we would look at some of these and say because a lot of times they would you know rehearse some of these things if they, if it, they didn't buy anything they'd put the lead card back in as a new one and you get this thing and so you're wasting phone calls on people that already said no and you can get to a point where you treat them as not much but he sat us down one day and he says, look, most places don't even give you 25 lead cards. We're giving you 25 people, people that someone has talked to on the phone. They said we would be interested in insurance. Now, it's up to you to go make it happen. He had to spark us. He had to get us going. And I've noticed even with the bunk beds, there are some times that I can get a little frazzled because sometimes I've got 15, 20, 25, 30 people I'm dealing with all with a different bunk bed all with a different setting, all with a different... And I'm trying to close the sales on all those. And sometimes they fall through the cracks because there's a threshold that I can, I can hit and I can manage with my head. After that, I have to begin to go to, all right, how do I write this down with pen and paper so I don't forget? And I've come up with different systems and stuff so I could handle more and more and more. How much revelation from God can you handle? How much can you be diligent with? How much can you be faithful with? How much can you take in and on a daily basis let it be light to you? That's a threshold for you. That's a threshold you can get a little higher. It's a threshold you can work on and move to a higher place. Do you have people in your life that if you minister to them one or two principles... I mean, not milk principles, meteor principles from the Word of God, and they're lost. They're shaking their heads. I can't, I can't get this. I can't understand this. To think back, you were once there. Last thing in your outline. What was or what will be should not hinder you from operating in what is now. Don't let what was, don't let what will be or should be or could be or might be hinder you from operating in what is now. doesn't matter what people have done, what people should have done, what people will be doing. Don't let it hinder you from what you're doing now. Be faithful with the opportunities. Well, I don't have any opportunities. No, you don't have eyes to see them. 
you need to open up your eyes so you can see them. You need to be praying, Father God, there are opportunities and I'm missing them. Help me to see the opportunities that are here. And help me to take advantage of them. Help me to give out these things that we have. Proverbs 12 and verse 1 says, Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. <laughs> whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. Proverbs 12.1. You can look it up. It's not in your outline. Learn to be faithful with what God has given you because you'll never get more until you can handle what you have. Look for the opportunities that are all around you. There are opportunities all around. And God says, I need you to be faithful in that opportunity. It isn't always just a talent. Sometimes with a knowledge understanding wisdom from God. Sometimes with the opportunity to speak to people about their life situations, what's going on. Help them out. Be faithful. If God has only given you two people to nurture and to help, then you do the best with those two people that you possibly can. And you show God, I am ready to handle more than two. And God says, you sure are. Here's a couple more. Pretty soon, God's going to start entrusting you with people that He can't trust with others, others with because you've shown yourself to be faithful. And you may sit there and say, oh, Dear Lord, I can't handle these people. And God says, I gave it to you because I know you can. Hey. Remember that question we were dealing with way back? Will God ever give me more than I can handle? There's a religious answer to it. There's a set answer to it. What we're trying to work on, we're answering this over the whole process of this thing. It is not a simple yes or no answer. It is not a complex answer, but it is an involved answer. I want you to know all that's involved so that you can answer that correctly in your life. Will God give me more than I can handle? We're getting there. We keep chipping away at more principles that will help you out with this. I want you to get this. I want you to understand it. Do you see your opportunities? Do you see what's in front of you? God wants to use you. Be faithful with what He's given you. He's measuring you. Not measuring you to see whether you should get in. He's measuring you to see what you can handle next. What more He can put in your hands. Would you all stand up with me? This is our communion Sunday. And we did not put prune juice in the cups.